The Wiz Kids had won it, Bobby Thompson had done it, and Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born, marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball, Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Feller, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. All right, everybody, welcome on back to Baseball History 101. Today we're going to have a topic that is a very personal topic. Um, it's a topic that Matthew, who's sitting here with me, um, hey. actually lived out. I'm assuming it was your graduation trip after high school. Yes. Oh, yes. But before we get into that, there's a couple of current events we want to talk about. Yeah. I want to ask Matthew's thoughts on Clayton Kershaw getting pulled at the end of the seventh inning at, what was it, uh, 80-something pitches? Yeah, it was like it was 80. Throwing a perfect game? Yeah. Um, ready for it? Yeah. Okay. So my opinion is I didn't brief it. I thought that you – that the manager broke the rule, you know, Dave Roberts pulling him. And I just don't think you should do that, especially when it's less than a hundred pitches after seven innings. That's impressive. Not a lot of stars can do that. See, I understand the fact that early in the season, he's coming off of arm problems last year. You're trying to save him because they have the, Arguably the best lineup in the National League, but having the best lineup doesn't mean Jack, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, but you gotta let the guy go until he gives up a walker hit. Exactly. That's how There's what, show. 31 perfect games? 32? 31, I think. 31, 32, yeah, somewhere in there. But this guy's got multiple no hitters, but he's never been perfect. You gotta let him ride it. He was getting ahead in counts. Yeah. Um, he was pitching to contact and getting outs also. Like it's not like he was dominant with a shit ton of strikeouts. Right, but he was he was pitching how you were paying a great pitcher like Kershaw. Yeah, right? he was just manipulating the lineup. Yeah. And there may not be a, he may not get another chance to get a perfect game. So that might be his last chance at his age. You yeah. Know? And think about it, like, you know, uh SB Nation or Secret Base, whatever they're called now, they did a documentary on former Blue Jays pitcher Dave Steed. And this dude, there was like maybe five or six or seven chances that he had either a no-hitter or a perfect game going, and then something happened in the ninth inning and he blew it. And something like they get hit and he would he had like maybe seven or eight chances until he finally got a no-hitter. You know, Kershaw may have other chances, but this is probably about as close as he was going to get as mm-hmm. of right now. So might be his last chance to do it. It could be his last chance to do it. He's getting up there in age. I think he'll be 30. Five, no, 34 this year. So he's probably got another three, four, five years as a ball player. But right. he's got another two or three competitive years if trends are correct. You know, right. he's about the age. Like, you know, I personally. That's you know, wild. He's only three years older than us. Yeah, it's it's really wild. And, you know, and he went to high school with Matthew Stafford. So there you go. Super Bowl champion. Super Bowl champion Matthew Stafford, yeah. Um, you know, it's like Reggie Ragland. I call him Super Bowl champion Reggie Ragland when he won that with the Chiefs. Yeah. 
But uh, I, like I said, I personally don't agree with it. I mean, I understand you want to save your arm, especially you know if you're going to make a run for the playoffs. Understandable. But at the same time, it's like, dude, if you're that close of history and he's less than 100 pitches after seven innings, let him finish the game, or at least let him pitch until he gets either a walk or a, or a hit. But again, I'm not a major league manager. I don't make lots of money to make those decisions. So Dave Roberts has a World Series ring. I don't. So <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of stunning how little money major league managers, managers make compared to their players. Yeah, you got managers making two, three million dollars a year, but you got your your stud first baseman making thirty six. Yeah. You know, I, 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 this is a scrapsy there, but I don't quite. How much is Tony Larusa making? That's a real question. Surely he would get more en- than enough to pay his uh, legal fees. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love Tony Larusa. I love him yeah. from the Cardinals days. I love I love the way he's willing to put the catcher in um, behind the pitcher. You know, he's yeah. willing to move the pitcher up line. I love the way he manages the game of baseball. Yeah, but yeah, you know, like I think I think the highest paid manager this year is four million dollars. I, I I don't know. I have to double check that one, but I. Yeah. I read something about it a few weeks ago. I, I think that's what I read. I can't guarantee that, though. Um, and then another thing before we get into our episode today, uh, Matthew had the pleasure of going to Rickwood Field, named after um, Rick Woodard, a uh, steel baron from Birmingham, Alabama. Yep. The oldest ballpark, professional ballpark, in existence in the United States. It is two years older than Fenway. Yes. Which today, 110 years ago, Fenway, the Red Sox played the first game in Fenway, which is also the same day that the Tigers first played their game, Detroit Tigers played their game at, wasn't called Tiger Stadium again, then it was called Navin Field, but which one became Tiger Stadium, so. They went from that to Comerica to Tiger Stadium? No, it, that, it, so it started as Navin Field in 1912, but then it was renamed to Briggs Stadium because Briggs became the main owner. And then 1961, it was named Tiger Stadium until it's, you know, they stopped. And they built the new stadium, and it was Comerica, and now it's Tiger Stadium again? No, it's still, it's still Comerica. Comerica, okay. As far as I know, they haven't changed it. Okay. It's not like uh, the Brewers and uh, uh, Miller to American Family Care, whatever field, American Financial, whatever. Miller's down for changing that. It's Miller Park. Right. It yeah. will forever be known as Miller Park. Yeah, it's like I just sounded today, or yesterday, or last week, that the carry, Syracuse says, Cut their ties with Carrier, and they're not going to be called the Carrier Dome. It's going to be called JMA Wireless Dome. Or it's still like the Carrier Dome. Still Carrier. People are going to call it Carrier Dome. Yeah. But anyway, I'm sorry. It's like, if the, it's like if the Cardinals signed a deal with First Family Financial or something. Right. It's still Bush Stadium. Yeah, it's still Bush Stadium. It, it, the, Number three. Yeah. Even though the Bush family no longer owns the Cardinals, it's still Bush Stadium. You know. But anyway, going back to what happened at Rickwood Field this past weekend. I bet it was awesome. I'm really envious. I tried to get tickets for me and Sunday to come down, and a hundred bucks a piece before the fees. Right now, my ticket. So I went to a Savannah Bananas game on Saturday, April sixteenth, at Rickwood Field, and it was awesome. I mean, I've seen Rickwood crowded during the Rickwood Classic when the Barons played there once a year. But the atmosphere was nowhere near as electric as it was Saturday night when the Bananas played the party angles. I think they're the best thing going in um, independent league sports. 
I absolutely agree. And every day, you know, ever and I followed the banana since deception twenty sixteen because too. I, I don't I don't really talk about this much with my with my friends, but I have family members in Savannah, Georgia, where they're based. My grandfather grew up there, you know, for many years during the depression and whatnot. And he would talk about going to games at Grayson Stadium, where the Bananas play. And so every time it's I a think, former minor league stadium, correct? And right. they don't have a team anymore, so they right. kind of filled the void. Right. So the Bananas played there because the Sandnets left and became the Columbia Fireflies. So you know, I have a vested interest in at least Grace, whoever plays at Grayson Stadium. I said, okay, I'm sorry. What cool thing about the Bananas too? Yeah. They also have collegiate kids that play, mm-hmm. but guys have grown up from their collegiate teams and haven't made the pros. That's the guys who are playing on the stuff that you see. Yes. It's, so it's guys that are making money during the summers playing ball, but they also have a collegiate summer league team that plays in the Carolina League, I believe. No, it's the Coastal Plains Coastal Plains League. Carolina League is actually minor league. So. Okay. So it's the Coastal Plains Leagues. Yeah. So they actually have a college league team, and guys that don't get drafted after their college days are done end up playing – on what they call the um, uh, showcase team, I think is oh, what they call it. it oh, I forget. Yeah. There's a name for it. But the guys that were good, man, and they have tryouts. If you can flip a ball between your legs and throw a ball to first, you know, like yeah. Uh, one of my favorite comedians, Burt Kreischer, he went and tried out for him a few months ago when he was down in Savannah. Yeah, man can't hit a curveball, you know. Yeah, it's a fat comedian the word doesn't wear a shirt. So they said, come on down, see what you got. Yeah, you know that's the ability to play. But yeah, he got a chance to. Quote unquote, try out. Yeah. So, like I, I said, I wish that team was around when I was in college, man. Yeah, me, me too, man. Uh, but anyway, I have signed up for that so fast. Yeah. But I, you know, because of my family ties to Savannah, Georgia, and Grayson Stadium, I've always been a fan of whatever team plays at Grayson Stadium because I don't care what the team is, whether it be college or minor league or summer collegiate league. I call it a barnstorm team with the, this division as or minor league team. I don't care who plays there, as long as somebody's playing there and keeping that history going. It's all it's all matters to me because it makes the stadium makes me think of my grandfather, and I sometimes get a little emotional talking about it. So, you know, um, and there's a video on YouTube about the bananas. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure you've probably seen it. Um, what's the guy's name that runs the team? Him and Jesse Cole and the Jesse Yoke. Cole and his wife. Yeah, they're from uh, I think Virginia originally. Yeah, somewhere around there. Well, he played at Wofford. He played college ball at Wofford, and then he ran the Gastonia Grizzlies in North Carolina. Yeah, but he tried to start something up somewhere else, and it didn't work. But they saw the opportunity in Savannah, and he wears a banana. You got a picture with him while you were there. Yeah. Oh yeah. And um, I think it's really cool how the players meet you out front when you're coming into the game. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a total spectacle. And they know what they are. Yeah. And it's just making baseball fun. Right. So this rendition of the, the bananas is what I like to call a barnstorming team. They are bringing barnstorming back. Guy I played with at AUM, um, they did tryouts last year. We needed pitchers for Mobile. Yeah. Um, he, was a, he was a good pitcher. He was a low 90s guy. Um, Chad Reeves, if you're listening to this, I love you and I hate you at the same time, and you know why. I'm not going to dive any more into that. <laughs> but, um, and he got to pitch for him mm-hmm. For one night, um, they brought they had a tryout. And the first three innings, everybody got one in. And Chad Reeves came in throwing 91, 92 miles an hour and did what Chad Reeves does. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> um, and I, I love that. Like, they're a gimmick. They know they're a gimmick. They're going to make the most of their gimmick. Yeah. And I think it's really awesome, and I really hope it comes to Huntsville. I hope so, too. I hope they come to the Toyota Field. or even. I'm hearing inside rumors they'll be here next year. Or even cooler if they played something at Optimus Park or maybe like a practice at Optimus Park. But I doubt that because you that know, it's that, very small. Yeah, that wouldn't happen. But I hear, I'm hear i hearing rumors yeah, through some people I know through my work and um, some people I know through baseball that they'll be at um, Toyota Field next year. Yeah, and here's the thing. All the dates they did in this tour sold out. So they're making money off this tour. How much did you pay for your tickets in Birmingham? Twenty dollars, no fees. They were a resale, a hundred bucks through StubHub. Yeah, hundred and three dollars plus fees. Yeah. So it's an attraction. I really look forward. And if you have, I look forward to getting to try and see them at some point in the future. And if you haven't heard of them, Google them, Twitter. Yeah. Any of it, Savannah Bananas. It, it it's banana ball. I'm in the stands in section 107. I catch a foul ball as an out, man. That's awesome. Yep, they're playing by their Major own. Major League players. Baseball should implement that rule. That'd be great. They're be talking great. about speeding the game up. The damn Mets play for four and a half hours every day in a nine inning game. You oh, know? yeah. Like, so we're talking about speeding the game up. Make that a rule. And then, like, and then last night I went to the UAB Alabama baseball game in Tuscaloosa. That game was like three and a half hours because both teams kept changing pitchers. They kept changing pitchers, you know. And it's like, why are we doing that in a non conference game? I have no idea. It's like they would have like UAB would have the lead, and then like Casey Dunn comes out and overchanges pitchers. I'm like, why? Why are you wasting my time? I gotta go back to Huntsville, you know. <laughs> Casey Dunn is a phenomenal man. Um, I met him when he was the head coach at Estavia. Mm-hmm. Um, you mean my? Um, his, da- his dad was head coach of Estavia. Okay, Estavia. so my be is is he junior? Yeah, he's Casey Dunn. His dad's Sammy Dunn. I don't believe there's a junior. Okay. One of the Dunns was the coach of Estavia when I was playing ball at Jeff State in Birmingham. Yeah. Phenomenal man. Phenomenal ball player. Um, we would go work out in their weight room, me and um, a couple of my buddies. Yeah. That had uh, graduated from there. Nice. He's a hell of, I mean, and I'm glad that he's UAB's coach now. He left Sanford to join UAB this year. And- I, th- I think... It's named Sammy Dunfield, but Casey Dunn was the coach of Estavia. I think. I don't Probably. Either way, he, he played at Vestavia because of his dad. And, you know, he's always got the connection. So They had a turf field. And we used to go watch ball games there. Yeah. And they had a turf field. And you'd see these right fielders come in and try and camp under a ball and play it on the hop. And it's like, trampoline over my head. Oh, shit. But the Vestavia guys didn't do that because they were used to having that turf field. Oh, man. Yeah. So or you like, see guys thrive slide through second base. Yeah. My, my freshman year at Grissom, we played a uh, uh, basketball team. We played at Vestavia. And then, like, we had some time to kill in between games. I went down to, to Vestavia Hills baseball field, and I saw that turf. Beautiful field. Right. And this is the first time I saw – I love the way it has the woods, the back set behind it. Yeah. This is the first time I saw the turf that wasn't the hard artificial turf that was just – Synthetic grass turf, you know, it's yeah. like this like is a trampoline. Like I went, I went down and touched it. I was like, "This is weird. This is really cool." It's got like, little black beads in it. Yeah, black beads and all that. Catch one of those in the corner of your eye. Have a nice day. Yeah. Uh uh-uh. uh no. no, sir. No. But anyway, go, going back to the bananas, the game was great. It was like two hours as advertised. There were antics. Players were dancing. They're on a time clock. 
Yeah, like, was, yeah that's awesome. Nine o'clock. Yeah. And um, explain to me a little bit more about the um, yeah. inning rule. So, you win the inning, right? Right. So, like, if I score six runs this inning and you score three, I win the inning, so I get one run. Yeah. So that's how it goes. So, or I get one point. I get guess. a point. I guess. So, it, whoever scored the most points in the inning, they'll get. They win a point for that inning. They win the inning. I like. I love that as a baseball guy. Yeah. Because as a baseball guy, your goal is to win every inning. Right. And it's like, it doesn't matter the final total. Yeah. Win every inning. If you win every inning, you win the game. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes the game more competitive because you know they don't see a six to three score; they see one nothing or one to one, and you're like, "Wow, okay, it's not out of hand." You know, we still can win this. You know, it is tough though when you send a guy out on stilts to <laughs> try and hit a double and drive the run, and you know, yeah, well, that guy was there, but he was not on stilts in that game, so I was kind of disappointed about that. But it's okay. I saw a video the other day of him pitching, and he threw. He threw. I mean, you can't throw hard, but yeah, he, he threw that, strikes. He did. That's impressive to throw strikes on seven foot stilts. He did that in Columbus, and you played it at ballpark. Uh, a uh, Golden Park. Um, uh, when you walk into Golden Park, there's a big wall of um, people who played there. Babe Ruth played there. Um, Hank Aaron, Tom Clavin, Maddox, Smoltz, um, anybody that came up through Georgia at all played there, and it Golden Park is an amazing facility. Yeah. I um, got to play there before I played at Columbus State, while I played at Columbus State, and after I played at Columbus State. I got to play there for all three of the colleges I played for. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a great ballpark. Yeah. They got the little clock tower on the scoreboard, and then it's – Yeah. And then, um, you know, the party animals were their opponents. Their sleeveless-ass jerseys being muscle hamsters. Yeah. And so, you know – the only way I can compare both teams is that, you know, the party animals are the Washington Generals to the Bananas Globetrotters. Yep. But the thing is, unlike the Globe, unlike the Generals who almost always lose to the Globetrotters. I think the Generals have won three times in the history of the Globetrotters uh, as of like four years ago. It seems about right. I, I haven't checked it myself. But it was a trivia question when I was um, running bar trivia that I asked. Nice. But the, the party animals are just as competitive as the Bananas. And they won the game at Rickwood Field three to two. They won, you know. They won. we're still playing a baseball game, right? But there's gimmicks everywhere. Yeah, and then you know, one of the party animals batters batted blindfolded. He didn't get a hit, obviously, but he still is part of the show. Did he made contact with anything. He probably did. That would have been awesome if he made if he even made contact. That's a win, right? You know, and then like one of the party animals had a yellow two two over his jer- over his jersey, you know, and. Uh, there were two party animals outfielders near the end of the game. One outfielder was on the other guy's shoulders, you know. And uh, and then for the bananas, like obviously Bill Spaceman Lee was on the team. You know, he made the tryouts and he was pitching. He pitched his inning, but even between innings during infield practice, he would play first base for infield practice. Like he would just throw the ball to like the second base for third base for shortstop. And then they throw it back to him. He, he was doing infield practice that way between. You know, the spaceman's loving it. He's oh, he probably was, out there stoned out of his gourd doing whatever he does. Dude I don't was, know. But. Dude was living the dream, sitting on the side, you know, out you know, near the bullpen, just signing autographs, talking to people. Was it Jake Peavy that pitched? Yes, is I was going to get Jake you. Peavy took the Golden Glove off of his Golden Glove trophy and pitched in it. Yeah, that's 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 it. the definition of clout. Yeah, that's the definition of. 
Your award doesn't mean nothing. I'm a pitcher. I'm here to pitch. He pitched in the gold glove. I'm not sure if you ever seen a gold glove trophy up close. I have. They're yeah. basically like spray painted gold. Like I imagine right. it wasn't comfortable. Surely he maybe he put it in the oven and tried to like you know soften up or something. Because he was out there. He was out there. For y'all at home, I'm clapping the glove like that. Yeah. He was out there like moving it and like that's him. That's wild. Yeah. I could not imagine taking the gold glove off of my gold glove trophy and pitching with it. As the bananas called it, it was a power move. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely that. a power move. Yeah, and uh, you know and he's telling everybody else to eat. Mm. And so last year, Jake Peavy, when the Bananas came to Mobile for their One City World Tour, he threw that's out, where my buddy pitch. Yeah, yeah, your buddy. He threw out the I'm first buddy. <laughs> he threw he threw out the first pitch, or but it was like he threw out the first banana. He didn't throw a ball. He threw the first banana to a catcher. So I guess after that, maybe Jesse or maybe he reached out to Jesse or Jesse reached out to him and said, hey, why don't you come pitch an inning for the Bananas? And he said, yeah, I'll do it. Absolutely. So, you know, and that brings interest. You know, maybe like next year, maybe other former Major League players may want to try out, you know. Uh, it, 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 you know, there's endless possibilities to bring this thing on the road, you know. I think it's the best gimmick in baseball. Yeah. And it's nothing more than a gimmick. And we're going to – you agree with me on that, right? Right, but if this but it makes baseball fun, right? And if they if he if they can revive interest in baseball in our generation, they're the they're the group to do it. They're the team to do it. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of this guy Brett Phillips who plays for Tampa. Yeah, his clothesline, baseball is fun. He's trying to make baseball fun. He's out there doing weird pitching. You know, yeah. if they need a relief pitcher, Brett Phillips, the outfielder, yeah, who's going to be and probably an all star this year, man. He's is bought, but so in in short, I've been a fan of the bananas since its exception, and when I finally got to see them on Saturday, it made me even more of a fan. I was like, dude, this is I, I'm I, envious. I'm all for it. You know, I remember you telling me you were going to go, and I was like, I'm not sure I'm going to make it. Man, I was trying to pick up tickets last minute, and of course they were six times the price on yeah. resale. So I'm yep. not gonna pay a hundred dollars to see it. The only bad thing but, was the only bad thing about it was the parking. But again, we still got to the game on time. But you have to understand, Rickwood Fields in the neighborhood. There's not a lot of parking, and yeah, it's, it's on the west side of Birmingham, which is not the best neighborhood. If you know Birmingham, that's not where you want to go after dark. So, but it wasn't after dark. It was okay. But still, well, it was like a twelve thirty game, something like that. No, it started at five. But of course, they did their pregame stuff, and we missed that. But I didn't really care. I was like, look. We're still early for the game. We're here for the game. I just want to see the game. I don't really care about the pregame stuff. It's all good. You and you're in a cathedral game, which has been a somewhat forgotten cathedral game. What now? And you're in a cathedral game. A cathedral game, yeah. Which is a somewhat forgotten cathedral game, but is the oldest professional well, ballpark. In America. Yeah. You has it ever hosted a major league ball game? I mean, hosted exhibition games. Like, like a regular season major league game. Though. No. It would be nice if they did, if Major League Baseball did that. One time. I think that'd be cool. And, like, if they put money into the ballpark and fix the lights and everything, dude, I mean, Rickwood needs a lot of work. And I love the hangover lights with the booms on it. And it's, it's, a, it's beautiful. That's the one place I'm very upset that I have never gotten to play at. Yeah, I mean, you just don't see those lights overhanging, like, very anywhere, at least not in the modern parks, anyway. You, know, you just don't see that. Yeah, it's like, it's like, um, yeah, it's. Yeah. It's so old school that yeah. it's humbling how old school that ballpark 
And and even though we got my my brother and I and my dad, we got pictures of with Jesse Cole. Jesse wasn't too thrilled that my dad was wearing Savannah's Sandman shirt and hat. Because if you've seen videos of him describing their first day of owning a team gate to the ballpark, the Savannah Sandnats took everything. Like they left him with nothing in the office. So Jesse was not too thrilled to see that, but he was still a good sportsman and let dad take a picture with him. So, you know. <laughs> Can you but, imagine? And they're like, get out of here, Mr. Carter. I'm not taking a picture of you because you're a tyrant. It's trash. Right. But dad <laughs> didn't know that. Because like I said in the past, my dad is not the best. He, he's not as knowledgeable of sports as I am. So he's not, he didn't know the backstory. There's know? very few people as knowledgeable about sports as you are, Matt. Yeah, that's true. So, you know, Dad didn't know that. I didn't know that. Josh didn't know that. But, you know, next time if we go to a, a, a bananas game, Dad Your dad's going to have a banana shirt on. Right. He'll wear a banana. He's not going to wear Sandman's gear. So, All right. Well, see. speaking of your dad. Yeah. This is your dad's episode. Yes. This is going to be the uh, Massive East Coast Ballpark Tour episode. Yes. So, speaking of your dad, we're going to have to get him a uh, Baseball History 101 t-shirt, maybe. If we if we make them, we'll give him one. <laughs> so that way he can wear it to our uh, listening party or something somewhere. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and not not piss Jesse Cole off. Like we could do the bomb hours, you know. <laughs> All right. So where you want to start with your history tour? Okay. So 2009. It's July of 2009. I just graduated from high school, and I'm in between high school and going to start my freshman year at UNA. And my parents were like, hey. For those of you at home that aren't from North Alabama, that is the University of North Alabama. Yes, the University of North Alabama. It's in Florence, Alabama. It's mm-hmm. a beautiful town. If you ever have a chance to come visit, I recommend you buy a hotel room at the Gunner Hotel if you can afford it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a phenomenal town, great bass fishing, phenomenal college there. Yeah, there's lots of things to do in Florence. But back to that, uh, my parents, even before – July of 2009, they're like, hey, so we're going to do, a, for your senior gift, we're just going to go up the East Coast and watch ball games and go see the Hall of Fame. And I said, let's do it. And, like, we were playing, like, I had a hand in playing all this stuff. And so on July 6th. So a lot of people don't realize, I've known you since I was 13, 14 years old, 13 yeah, years old. 13, and, yeah. um, what was his name? Coach Henderson's team? Yep. Coach Henderson. I used to be able to ask Matthew 1936, and he'd be like, <laughs> Here's who played in the World Series, and this is what happened. Yeah. So Matthew's been a baseball guy as long as I know him. What we're in our early thirties now, but we were thirteen, and he was already a baseball head. Yeah. Like so, he's always had a passion for this, and this is going to set kind of the cue for what we're getting into. Yeah, and it started young, and you know, I wanted to. It's just a way to you know, spiking baseball sports, just a way to meet people and make friends or acquaintances at least. So. I had a pleasure playing ball. I'm sorry, what? I had a pleasure playing ball. Same you know? here, man. I mean, I would not have met you or started this friendship if we didn't play Babe Ruth. No, I think we were 13 years old on Coach Henderson's team. Uh, yeah. Babe's where I met. Playing Babe Ruth at Sanders, you know. So I had a hand, a helping hand in picking some of the dates of this tour. So we start on July 2nd. It's a Thursday night. And we travel from our home in Huntsville, Alabama, to outside of Knoxville, Tennessee, to see a Tennessee Smokies game, and they took on our hometown minor league team, the Huntsville Stars. And you have to understand, it's outside of Knoxville, the ballpark. Some people say it's in Kodak, Tennessee. 
Some people say it's in Sevierville, Tennessee. Just know that it's east of Knoxville, Tennessee. And it's a nice park, Smokey's Park. You know, it's just, I mean, it was smaller than Joe Davis, but still, it's, it's a nice little park. And that year, Ryan Sandberg, Hall of Famer Ryan Sandberg, who played for the Cubs. That was a manager thing. Yeah. He managed the Tennessee Smokies that year. And so I have pictures of Ryan Sandberg coaching third base as manager of the Tennessee Smokies. And we had a good time, and the Stars won 4-3. to three. And this is the only time on the tour that the visiting team beat the home team. All the other games we went to, the home team won. So that's unique. And another thing, one thing I just found out, I just remembered, in 2009, the Stars had no more Garcia Parra's brother, Mike Michael Garcia Parra, at shortstop. And I completely forgot about that until I looked it up you know, today. They had some. They had some. Stars had a couple other big names that year. Um, the major leaguers. There's a couple of them. I there. think Jonathan Lucroy, the catcher. Yeah. Um, I can't. I mean, I, I'm going to cut type. You know, I'm on in my MILB.com's uh, uh, box score for the games. So I have to type on. Just give me the last name. You know? No, but the Stars had a couple big. Uh, Stars yeah. had a couple guys that year that became big leaders. Yeah, like for that game, you know, like Jonathan Lucroy, that's the name that speaks out to me. And he went like one for five that day. But the Stars won four to three. Our beloved, dearly forgotten, our dearly, you know, forever remembered Huntsville Stars. Yeah, the guy that owned the Stars at the end. Yeah. Sealed their fate for them. With the plan to moon and Bluxy, and that's a different conversation for a different day. And yeah. I worked inside Southern League Baseball for a little bit, and that's yeah. a different conversation. And there, you know, the attendance that night, it was like 3,510. So my family of five was part of that 3,510, and it was like two hours, 44 minutes time, you know. Standard baseball. Standard baseball. You know, at least it didn't go three hours. Standard minor league baseball, not standard major league baseball, because had an hour on that, you know. And one of the cool things about Smokies Park in Sevierville, Knox, uh, Kodak, whatever, they had in the right in the right field uh, berm, they had three seats from their old ballpark, Bill Myers. I might not three, four seats. Excuse me, from their old ballpark, Bill Myers Stadium, and that's where the Smokies and other Knoxville teams played from 1953 to 1999. So they incorporated some history in the ballpark. You know, they brought those seats over so fans could sit in those seats while they watched the game. And there's a picture of myself and my brothers, you know, of us sitting in those seats, you know, and it's just really nice. And, you know, back in 2009, we're all wearing jean shorts, which is not really, they're comfortable, but they're not in style. You know, I would not wear, I would not be caught dead wearing jean shorts. You have three pairs. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but I disagree with you. I have three pairs. Okay, well, <laughs> yeah. and so that was a cool feature of Smokey's Park, and so that was the first game on the tour. The next day, we traveled to Durham, North Carolina, to see a Bulls game. Durham Bulls, but on the way, we stopped. Lelouch. Lelouch. Yeah, Bull Durham. But on the way, we stopped in Asheville, North Carolina to see McCormick Field, where the Asheville Tourists played. And they let the, whoever ran the front office let us go walk around the stadium and take pictures. So great, that that's great, a great front office person. Yeah. And, and McCormick Field has history itself, you know. 
they played on that field since 1924, I think. The stadium was the, the, the newer stadium was built in 92, but still, they played on that field since 24. So somebody in the front, somebody in the box office was yeah. just there selling tickets for the next upcoming game. Maybe they were going to have there, and it was like, hey, you can come walk around. Yeah, I mean that's basically it. Like, like we're here because of the history, not because of this game. Right. Kind of yeah, and we were on our way to Durham, so it's like, okay, it's a nice little stop. So I think just Dad and I went out and walked around the stadium, and Mom and the boys stayed in the car, just chilled, watched a movie or something. Because my brothers were very young at that time. Um, and then we, on our way, we stopped and made another stop in Hickory, North Carolina, where the Hickory Crawdads played. And we, once again, we walked around their stadium, LP Front Stadium. That's right outside of Charlotte, correct? I ish. Guess, ish. I mean, it's it's right before you get to Winston Salem. Because I'm a big NASCAR guy. Also, yeah. and um, like Dale Jr.'s NASCAR shop is in Hickory. Um, Dale Sr.'s from Hickory. Um, a lot of NASCAR teams are from that area. Mm-hmm. And like right. like the Charlotte, Bristol, yeah. Tennessee, Virginia, all that. That's kind of in their little bubble. Yeah. It's a nice park. They still have a team. I think they're in the South Atlantic League or Carolina. I don't know what league they're in. You know, the whole the whole Major League Baseball team yeah. thing, I can't keep up. I like how they made it the Southern League. And it's like, I'm, I'm why do you take it away and then put it back, you know? Well, they didn't have the rights to the names. That's why they had to go to Double A South or whatever. But, uh, That's dumb. Leave it alone. One thing I remember. I'm sure I agree with you on that. Leave yeah, it alone. Leave it alone. It's, it's, yeah. One thing I remember from uh, visiting LP Front Stadium Hickory, I bought a miniature replica of the stadium. From the gift shop. The gift shop was open. Kind of like one of the little like four by four little yeah about the size of this notepad right in front of me stadium records. Yeah, like that. You know, I had one Julia Stadium too. So I bought that's one thing I remember I bought a oh, that's uh, awesome. Yeah. The yeah. Joe Davis one is awesome. Yeah, I'm glad I have that one. I think my uncle gave it to me. Yeah. Also got one at Petco Park, like that was at a thrift store that my mom or my brother saw and bought for me. So that's really cool. And then so we get to Durham that night. And the Durham Bulls play at Durham Bulls Athletic Park, and it's a big stadium. They're a Triple A team. When it was built in 1995, they were still a Single A team in Carolina League. But then I think in '98 they became a Triple A team for the Tampa Bay at the time Devil Rays, and now Rays. And I think they're still a Triple A team for the Rays. So Durham, Durham Bulls, yeah, yeah, the Triple A Rays, yeah. And so that was a fun. Guys night. go from the biscuits to there. Yeah. So that was a fun night, like. You know, it, in left field, they have a blue monster. They have a big, tall fence that's blue, and they got video advertisements and whatnot. And there's a sign that has a bull, and, you know, hit bull, win steak, or salad. Like, hit the bull, you win a steak. Hit the grass that the bull's standing on, you win a salad. Which For everybody in the stadium, right? Right. And so that goes back to the old bull Durham tobacco days in old minor league ballparks in the turn of the century. They'd have that sign and it was a hit bull win stake or something like that. So, you know, it's an homage to that, and that's where Bull Durham comes from. It's from Bull Durham Tobacco, you know. And they had a replica of Joe Hall of Famer Joe Morgan's jersey that he wore when he played for the Durham Bulls in the early 60s. And he autographed it. It's like I took it, you know, with my little camera. I didn't have a smartphone back then, but in my camera, I took a picture of the uh, uniform that he wore number 18 when he was with Durham. And I zoomed in and I took a picture of the autograph on the jersey. Is Joe Morgan still alive? No, he passed away in 2020. 
Okay. He was I, I thought he had passed away. He was a phenomenal ball player. He was a big red machine yeah. also. Yes. And he was a phenomenal broadcaster growing up. I love watching him and John Miller talk about that. He used to be on Sunday Night Baseball. It was him, John Miller. And then um, after John Miller, it was him and John Crook. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, he was one of the main I used to love the Hall of Fame teams on the show video games. Yeah. He came up to bat and you fucking swung with him. And you, you may go kind of a fastball. It was just, we're running either a triple or a dinger, you know? Yeah. He was one of the... Many Hall of Famers who passed away in 2020, 2021. I think 2020, 2021 was a rough year for just all of us. Yeah. Humanity, humanity in general, general. We lost so many people we loved. Yeah. And Joe Morgan's one. Right. So that was, that was tough. And so that game, the Bulls played the Charlotte Knights. And the Bulls won 3-2. And I'm trying to look at, like, like I said, I'm on MILB's. Uh, box score of the game, and they give me last names, which makes sense. So trying to figure out, you know, any names that stand out to me, like that became major leaguers, at least noble major leaguers, it's just tough. So I'd have to, like, click up the guys' names. But, you know, it was a close game, just like the Smoky Stars game. There were 10,652 in attendance that night. So that was a big night. It was a Friday night, so big night. The game was, like, two hours, 25 minutes, not too bad. It was sunny, clouds. And then somehow after the game, we end up in the front office of the Durham Bulls. And, like, I guess, like, in the offices or, you know, something. I don't remember what we were doing down there. Maybe Oh, I think I remember. We were trying to go find the mascot, Wolfie Bull, and take a picture with him, which we did eventually. And while we were down there, there was this group of elderly women. And... You know, they were from Brevard County, Florida, somewhere down there, where the Brevard County Mansions used to play. And yeah. here's the thing. We they we, we do some small talk with these ladies. Like the Mantis, they were a Milwaukee team. I yeah, they were a Milwaukee team, so I'm, I'm, I'm about to get to that. So we, we're doing small talk with these ladies, and they're like, well, where are you from? And I said, like, well, we're from Huntsville, Alabama. And they said, oh, Stars. Yeah, Stars. Do you know Buck Rogers? Because at the time, Buck Rogers was the Stars GM. And we said, yes, we know Buck Rogers. We've met him. You know, and they're like, well, he used to be the the GM of the Brevard County Mantis before he came to Huntsville. So we know Buck Rogers. And I think they they, they, they they nicknamed the ladies nicknamed themselves the Buck Rogers Booster Club or something like that. So or Buck Rogers was the final owner of the stars, correct? Well, GM anyway. GM. Yeah, he was the final GM. But the final owner of the stars was that that's dude who moved that, to Biloxi. Yeah, and he bought the team with goals of that. And yeah, that's sad, and that's I sad. hate it because uh, we, me, and you drive down the parkway every day, probably. Yeah, and but you see what that stadium. It, 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 every time I see it. Ugh. But you know, different subject. But like Tommy Battle did nothing to keep the stars in town. Absolutely. Tommy Battle did nothing to keep the stars in town. The Big Spring Jam in town, but he's going to bring this big ass concert venue in town. And for those of y'all that aren't from Huntsville, I apologize. We're talking Huntsville bullcrap, but. <laughs> And so, we'll keep it carrying on. <laughs> yeah. And so that was cool to meet those ladies. And down there, we were talking with some intern for the, the Bulls. And she was very, you know, cheerful, you know, like the typical outgoing, cheerful person that likes to talk to everybody and is very excited to talk to everybody. Yeah, it's a nice old lady. Yeah. 
Well, she, she's, she's excited you're there to be excited about sh- crap she's excited about. You know, right. that kind of lady. Yeah. Well, the, the intro was like in her 20s anyway. But my dad at the time was a contractor for NASA. Now he's a contractor for the Army. And for whatever reason, he has these NASA stickers at the time. And he would just give them out to random people saying, you know, hey, I, you know, we, I'm from Huntsville and I want to give you a NASA sticker. And so he gave, of all the NASA stickers he gave, he gave one to this Durham Bulls intern, you know. And so she's like, oh, that's great. Thank you very much, you know. And, and then, and then like after the game, we, we post game that. The Mellow Mushroom, which was right across the street from the ballpark. So that can't go wrong with Mellow Mushroom. Can't go wrong with Mellow Mushroom. So it was a perfect... You hear that, Sonya? Can't go wrong with Mellow Mushroom. She doesn't like Mellow Mushroom? No, she uh, she's worked at both Mellow Mushrooms in town. Oh, wow. Okay, well. <laughs> and so the next day was July 4th. We're going to leave Durham. But before we leave Durham, we make a stop at the Bulls' old ballpark, Durham Athletic Park, which is where they shot the movie Bull Durham. And with the with the uh, plywood bowl and the yeah gaff and and so Lelouch Lelouch, Lelouch yeah Lelouch. so here's the cool thing about going to Durham Athletic Park the old park the gates were locked so we think okay there's no way to get in but as Dad and I were walking back to the car there was this guy with his family who just somehow got in he's like hey. Do you guys want to go in the stadium? And we said yes. And the guy said, "Well, there is a way to get into the stadium down the third baseline. There's a gap between the fence and, I guess, the the stadium uh, brick." This is starting to sound like how I had to pay a criminal trespass fee at Jordan Hare Stadium. <laughs> so then <Dad and> I <laughs> went through this little gap in between the fence and the the stadium, and we got in. And we walked around, and we took pictures, and I got on the mound, and I'm the mound was covered in – it was the mound at home plate was covered. The field yeah, was, it had tarp on it. Yeah, it had tarp on the mound in the field. And it was really cool, and, like, I, I'm pretending to pitch on the mound, and it was just really cool to do that. And How so, fast was that pitch, about 98? Yeah, not 98. <laughs> 99? Yeah. What, about, about a foot and a half movement? Yeah. And so and – <laughs> I'm so, envious of that. So that was a Saturday. July 4th was a Saturday that year. And we drive up to D.C. because we're going to see a Nats game on the 5th, July 5th. But we get to D.C. and we're just driving around watching everybody shoot fireworks. We see the Capitol. I don't think we saw the White House. We couldn't get that close to it. And we saw like where a bunch of the houses where the ambassadors from other countries live. And it was really neat to What's be. What's that called? Ambassador's Row or something like Ambassador's that? Ambassador's Row or something like that. It was really neat to be in the nation's capital during the 4th of July. So, excuse you me. Couldn't think of a better place to be. Yeah, exactly. And so the next day. Even though we're all pissed off about how some things are going with our country right now, whether you're left, right, middle, in between, yeah. upside down, whatever, man, that, that's the right place to be on the 4th of July. Exactly. You know. Anyway, so we get to the next day is July 5th, and we go to a Nationals game. So what I remember correctly, so RFK Stadium is still there. And at the time, you could park at RFK Stadium and take a bus to take you to Nationals Park. So that's what we did. We parked at RFK Stadium and got on a bus and took us to Nationals Park. Because I guess there wasn't any parking at Nationals Park or 
I don't remember the situation, but that's what we did to get the national park. So that's the new ballpark. Yeah, the new ball, the new yeah, the newer ballpark. And man, I, I remember getting on that bus and I see this really attractive blonde, and she gave me the smile, and I kind of smiled back, but I was kind of like shy and kind of looked away, and she was wearing like this Ryan Zimmerman jersey, and I felt kind of like a dick. Forget like, about the Zimmerman. Yeah, I felt kind of like dumb because I was like, man, she was smiling at me. Is Zimmerman still playing? No, he just retired. Okay. No, but I felt kind of dumb. I was like, man, she smiled at me, and I didn't say, you know, I didn't really smile much back. I was, I'm a shy guy. Come on, step it up, Matt. You're shy like me, man, but I grew out of it. You got to get to Come on. Yes, sir. So <laughs> I kind of regret not talking to her. But You've always been a shy guy, though, as long as I've known you. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I remember a certain girl, uh, Coach Harrison, used to give you hell about when we were 13 years old. Yeah. <laughs> and I ain't going to say a name, nothing, but you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> she got the same initials I do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And so we get to Nationals Park from our bus ride from RFK. And Nationals Park, they just opened the year before. It's a really nice park. If you've never been, it's a great I park. I love to go. Uh, me and Sonia, we were looking for vacations. We wound up going to the mountains. Just COVID kind of screwed up any kind of plans we were trying to make. But we were planning on going to D.C. and doing all the monuments and all that. And yeah. going to a ball game there. It just didn't pan out. Yeah, it's a really nice park. I would recommend it. And one thing I really enjoyed is that they honored their history of the previous Senators teams and the Negro Leagues. Because they have three statues very important when we were the yeah, previous leagues. Yes. So they have three statues of players at Nationals Park. The first one is Walter Johnson, who in the Hall won the first five inducted in the Hall of Fame, won four hundred seventeen career games. He was the all time leader in strikeouts of three thousand five hundred something before Nolan Ryan passed him in the eighties. He represents the original Washington Senators, which played in the American League from nineteen oh one to nineteen sixty. And then the next year they moved to Minnesota became the Twins. So he represents the old Senators. The second statue is of Frank Howard, who was a slugger who played for the expansion Washington Senators, which played from 61 to 71 before they moved to Texas and became the Rangers. And he was arguably the most best player on that in those years of the, the expansion Senators. And then lastly, they have a statue of Josh Gibson, who is in the Hall of Fame and he's a legendary Negro League player who played for the Homestead Grays and the Pittsburgh Crawfords. Now, some people are wondering, because Homestead, the Homestead Grays were based in the Pittsburgh area. And so you think, why is there a statue of Josh Gibson at Nationals Park in, in Washington, D.C.? Well, for a time in the 30s and 40s, the Homestead Grays played half their home games in D.C. There were times they were known as the Washington Homestead Grays. And so he represents, Josh Gibbs represents the Negro Leagues playing in Washington, D.C. at like Griffith Stadium, you know. So that, I thought that was a great way to honor their history of the previous teams. And, of course, Washington is known for, the, 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 the Nationals are known for the, the uh, you know, the uh, President's Race. You know, you got, at the time, it's, Tom, yeah. George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Abe Lincoln, and Teddy Roosevelt. Just Teddy, kind of a knockoff of the sausage race in Milwaukee. And then 
it's a kind of a knockoff of the tool race in Atlanta, sponsored by Home Depot. Yeah. You know. Now, at the time... Just don't knock one on the head like that guy did in the walk-in. Oh, that was... that. Oh, oh, Ramos, it was Ramos Ramirez. Yeah. Day. Yeah, uh, that was not good. Not good. Cool. He was having fun. It wound up not being fun. <laughs> yeah. Now, I don't remember who won the race. But my dad and my brother Chris got pictures with the presidents. I think... Like, they're talking to yeah. running presidents. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, you know... Dad got a picture with George Washington, and Chris got a picture with Teddy Roosevelt. So that was cool, you know. While Abe Lincoln was in the corner celebrating. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wish I could remember who won the presidential race that day. I, I bet think. there's a website that'll tell you. I hope I so. I bet there is. I hope so. But I, I bet there was a guy sitting in the corner and just, yeah. This guy won the race tonight. Yeah, but I can't, I can't, I do not remember from that day. Now we had take. I'm gonna start to beat the freeze tracker. The freeze wins. Oh yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm talking about Atlanta. Yeah. So we had seats. Um. So we had seats in the right field bleachers at, at Nationals Park. Down the line or behind the hole? Behind the bullpen. Okay, that's, so in the outfield. In the outfield. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, like right field outfield bleachers. And at the time, Washington. Uh, the Nationals had a player named Josh Mullingham like who he's played a, he's baseball. He's a great ball player. Yeah, who played baseball at UNA. Uh, UNA, actually, their batting cages are the Josh Mullingham hitting facility. Hitting facility. Yeah, um, he played in right field that day. I actually ran into him. He was eating at, um, what was it, the Pie Factory? Yeah, Pie Factory in Florence. Um, he was that place. I didn't bug him, but I saw him eating pizza there two weeks ago. Now, I, now, he played right field that day, and a few years later, when I was at UNA, I think it was like my junior or senior year, there was one day where Josh Willingham was there to sign autographs, and it was a cold, rainy day. But, you know, and he was signing autographs in UNA's locker room. Mm -hmm. And I go, I come to the stadium, and then I realize, oh, Josh Willingham's here. But I don't have anything for him to sign, so I immediately walked out. I walked out of the stadium, got back to my apartment, got a UNA hat and a sharpie. I think he had a sharpie, and I brought it back. And I still got in because I paid for my ticket, and they let me come back in. And I go up to Willingham, and we talked for a little bit. And I told him, "Hey, man, July six, uh, July fifth, two thousand nine, Washington Nationals. I saw you play. You guys played the Braves. It was part of our family's massive East Coast ballpark tour." And he's like, man, that's really cool. And he mentioned, is National Park like a great park? He's like, yeah, it's, you know, we were both like, yeah, it's a really nice park. So it was nice to meet him later on and tell him that we saw him play in D.C. Because at the time, I didn't know he what he played at UNA until I read the Nationals uh, program that I bought and I read his profile. I was like, oh, UNA, University of North Alabama. Had no idea until then that he played at UNA. So that was pretty cool seeing a UNA guy in the major leagues, you know. Yeah, and so that and I love the fact that he has contributed back to the university. He really has, and he still, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he still lives out in that area. Yeah, he's still because one of the guys that um, works for me used to be a. Um, I'm not gonna say for me works. I guess I'm his supervisor. Yeah, um, he, he used to be a lawn care guy, and he's from Florence, and um, he used to cut Wilhelm's grass. And Wilhelm still has a really nice house out in that area. I think it's in St. Florian or something like that. Yeah, St. Florian, yeah. 
played Florian. But still, he's just a he's a cool guy. I you know it was cool to see him. I love pro ball players. Yeah, they're a cool catch. I mean, they really are. They're just chill, and as long as you don't be a dick and ask you know be a jerk while asking him for an autograph, you know. Oh, I love the video of um, what's his name the other day. A guy asking for autographs. I already signed one for you. And he goes, yeah. And he goes, well, see you later, bud. I forget who it was. <laughs> it was somebody for the Nationals. Yeah. I, I, um, oh, oh, I Future Hall of Famer is who it was. I already signed you one. And he goes, yeah. He goes, see you later, bud. I already signed you one. You're not selling eBay. Yeah. Bye. Who was it? Was it like Steve Strasburg or something? No. no um, so, in that game, the Nationals won 5-3. Um. Chipper goes 0 for 2, but he walks twice. Brian McCann's on team. I'm watching Chipper go 0 for 2. Yeah. <laughs> um, Nate McLeod, who was the lead. Oh, I forgot about that guy. He played center field. I forgot players. about him. Yeah, he went 2 for 5 in that game. And this is probably Freddie's, like, number 2, number 3 year. Yeah. Martin Prado went 4 for 4. I forgot about him, too. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, and then, like, Brian McCann, like I said, you know, Escobar, Garrett Anderson, the former – Long-time Angels. It's a long-time Angel. I think I have his rookie card. Yeah. He went 0 for 4 with two strikeouts that day. And then Derek Lowe was the starting pitcher for the Braves. And he lost the game. I forgot he even played for the Braves. Yeah. Because he was a long-time Cub, wasn't he? Maybe. Lowe? I thought he Derek was. Derek Lowe? Maybe he was a Cub. D-E-R-E-K Lowe? I thought he was like an A. Hold on. Where, where he might have been a, an Angel. Or an A. a. Yeah, so um, he played for the Red Sox. Okay, that's where I'm from. Because he is a member of the 2004 World Championship team. He played for the Red Sox for all those years in Dodgers. And, I, I knew he was in L.A. Yeah, for a minute. Dodgers, Mariners, Indians, Yankees, and he ended his career with the Rangers. So, you know, that's a name that we saw. We saw Chip Look at this picture of him with the Braves with the bleach, bleach hair and the black roots. That's something else. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got a butt cut. It's parted down the middle for y'all at home. Is, if you just go to the Wikipedia of Derek Lowe, it is not the most that is phenomenal a, picture that of is him. A unique uh, photograph. And then for the Nationals, Niger Morgan went three for five with an RBI. Can I say something about Niger Morgan? Sure. Niger Morgan is one of the most electric people to ever play major league baseball. He will never be a Hall of Famer. He never had the sense to do it. Well, he made a little short stint, but he was electric. Yeah, for sure. He was, you know, he was, what's his name? Uh, he had a nickname for himself. Uh, I forget oh, what it was. I don't remember. But he was, he was almost a WWE persona. Yeah. But as a ball player, I loved watching him play. He started with the Brewers. Yeah. You know, and he yeah, wound up there, you know, and, yeah. and he was a phenomenal, he wasn't a bad ball player, but he was a phenomenal and then, persona. Yeah. And then, like, Ryan Zimmerman went one for five. I forgot about this. Adam Dunn was a Washington National. And he, he was a red, too, wasn't he? Yeah, he was red for all those years. And then he was a National. I forgot about that. He went one for four. Um, William went one for four. I mean, you know, and uh, I think Scott Olson got the win for the Nats that day. Yeah, Scott Yeah, Scott Olson did. And there was like 22,000 people there at, this, at, at uh, Nationals Park. It was a great day. You know, I was... Very impressed with Nationals Park. 76 and sunny, beautiful day. Yeah, and I got to eat wine shaped ice in Nationals Park, so I was living the dream. I love wine shaped ice. And so the next day. Hawaiian shaped ice follows my dog on Facebook. Really? <laughs> or on Instagram. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. 
<laughs> oh man, that's something else. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. A man's got 66 followers and one of them so wine shake. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so the next, so that night we went to the ESPN zone in Washington, D.C. None of those exist anymore. None of those exist anymore, which is a darn shame because I love the one in Atlanta. You go take it. a leak, you're watching Sports Center. Yeah. You know? And I don't, I mean, the food was good, but one thing I remember that I took a picture of at the ESPN zone was they had uh, posters of. Hall of Fame, like Hall of Fame, Homestead Grace players like Josh Gibson, Buck Leonard, and Smokey Joe. Because they were a local thing, right? Yeah. So and they and they had them like back in the day. There was like a big league chewing gum in the nineteen thirties. That was totally different from the current big league chewing gum. That's like yeah, you got a card and a right stick of gum. Yeah, back then yeah, they they made cards for like major leaguers. So some this artist made these big league chewing gum type card posters for Negro Leaguers. So I thought that was the coolest thing. And like the ESPN Zone, they had like TVs, obviously. There was like TV in our booth. And the TV was playing like Pride of the Yankees. Yeah, and you could flick it to whatever you wanted to watch sports related. So Yeah, one in Orlando on Peachtree was awesome. Yeah, I gotta miss that place. And so that was, that's how we ended our night uh, on um, July 5th. Okay, so the next day was July 6th. It was my parents' 24th wedding anniversary. And we found out that in our the car that we took up there, our Dodge Durango, needed new brakes. So Dad, early in the morning, we found some brake shop in the D.C. area. Is that a rental car or y'all's car? It's our car. Yeah, we we yeah we, we did not rent a car. So Dad found a brake shop, thank God, in the morning to get new brakes. So if you want to celebrate your 24th wedding anniversary, get new brakes for your car. <laughs> I like our Ray Bestos break shop for three hundred dollars. Let's go! Right, yeah. <laughs> and so, um, so we're going to the Phillies game that night. But before we made a stop in Baltimore, and we saw the Babe Ruth Museum and birthplace because he was born in Baltimore. Oh, that's what I mean. Yeah, and you know, people think of. Babe Ruth as New York and to a lesser extent Boston. But, New York hot dogs and cigars, baby. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but, um, you know, he was born in Baltimore, and Baltimore is very proud to be the birthplace of Babe Ruth. And the museum was really cool. It was, I want I mean, it's it the exact site of his birthplace in Baltimore, which is not far from Camden Yards at all. And the museum was cool. There, Obviously, there was Babe Ruth artifacts. I wish I took more photos, but I didn't, you know, for whatever reason. But I remember that there was a program, or maybe a facade of a program, from 1914 when Babe Ruth was playing minor league for the minor league Baltimore Orioles. During that time, the Federal League was going on, which was the third major league, and they had a team in Baltimore called the Baltimore Terrapins, which built their ballpark right across the street from the Orioles' ballpark. And it was still like, hey, you know, during this time in baseball, the Federal League was happening, and there was a team in Baltimore. And basically, they drove Jack Dunn, who owned the Orioles, out of Baltimore the next year. They went to play Richmond, Virginia. And then when the Orioles, the Federal League folded, they came back to Baltimore. So, so a Terrapin is a turtle, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's a turtle. Right. Like, yeah, the University of Maryland is a Terrapin. You know? Right. And they're a turtle, and they have terrible football uniforms. Yeah. <laughs> um, so a Terrapin is a turtle, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. But is that like a specific species of turtles I believe, to that area, I guess? I believe there is. Again, I'm going to have to do more research on yeah, that. Yeah, like 
I guess like there's, there's two Maryland teams I know. Knows the Terrapins, yeah. the University of Maryland, and and the ball club. So, so yeah, that's more of a Maryland thing. And not only that, um, so the Bayview Museum was great, and then we also went to another museum in Baltimore called the Sports Legend Museum, which is not far from well, was not far from Camden Yards. It was in an old train station, which is not far from Camden Yards and being a warehouse. And that was about Baltimore and Maryland sports history. Like, there was a section where I saw Home Run Baker's Philadelphia A's warm-up cardigan jacket. Home sweater. Run Baker, you said? Yeah, Home Run Baker. What a name. Yeah. he is His cardigan sweater that he wore in, like, 1911 that has, like, the elephant on it and it's blue because the A's colors were blue and white back then. And it was like, that thing... I wish Major League players wore that instead of hoodies today, you know? Because those are the coolest things, man. Sounds like a dubbing cabbie, but it was a knit sweater. Yeah. It was, it was just like that. Yeah. So, like, instead of... Oh, shit, I ain't got nothing around here I can grab. But instead of, like, a dugout jacket, it was a knit sweater. It was a knit sweater. It was That's what they wore back in the turn of the century, when they're cold. Like, during October, you see guys wear those jer- those jackets. Yeah. It was so stylish, man. It looked like, so I was cool. trying to reach over here in my closet behind me and grab a damn uh, BP jacket. Yeah. And so it's that kind of thing, but with the elephant. Yeah. And um, we, uh, there was a section in the, that Sports Legends Museum where we got to try on like different uniforms of Maryland related teams. So like there's a picture of me wearing an Orioles uniform, uh, Orioles jersey. And then like Josh is in a Baltimore Ravens jersey and helmet. And Chris is in a Maryland Terrapins jersey and helmet. And dad's wearing like a John Hopkins lacrosse uniform. It's got the it's got the wicker basket on that too? He, he does not have the wicker basket. They didn't have it with it, but he's got the helmet and the jersey. And then Dad then wears a Navy, you know, Navy football uh, jersey and helmet. You know, and it's the coolest thing that they had that exhibit. They would you wear like the guy, you know. The, I bet Mr. Carter would hope your ass in the cross. He probably would. I mean, probably. <laughs> and then like there was – they had statues of the Baltimore Orioles and Baltimore Ravens mascots. I guess, like, you know, they had the, the, the costumes and somebody put, like, a mannequin in them. And Dad got a picture with them, you know, because he loves mascots. And then we go to Camden Yards, but we didn't go in Camden Yards. They, you know, unlike, uh, dirt, uh, unlike Asheville and Hickory, Camden Yards was locked. But, you know, we got to... Walk that outfield in between that space in between the outfield seats and the BNO warehouse, and we got to take pictures through the gate at Camden Yards. It was really cool, and um, you know, and we ate like we ate Baltimore for lunch. And I I had Subway, and then there was like this kind of off-brand Moe's Southwest Grill place next door, and the rest of the family ate there, like a Cadoba kind of joint, yeah, like a Cadoba sort of thing, and. Uh, the one thing, the, the way I, the why I mentioned this is like the one thing I remember from eating there was there was a sign that said like, Bad Bob drinks soda out of a water cup. Good Bob drinks water out of a water cup. Don't be like Bad Bob and drink soda or not water out of a water cup. So that was just a joke that my family and I had over all those years, you know. Yeah, it's kind of cheesy. Yeah, it's just cute. It's just funny, you know. <laughs> um, drink the sodas, not the water. Right. Unfortunately, the Sports Legend Museum closed sometime later, but all the 
all the exhibits that were at all the uh, artifacts exhibits that were at the Sports Legends Museum, the Babe Ruth Museum owns. So they're all stored away where the Babe Ruth Museum stuff is. So, yeah. But, and so then we go to Philadelphia. And, man, this was a night, out of all the nights, I remember this one the most. Like, other than that, this is the only score that I remember out of all this. Was this a new ballpark or was it still old Veterans Park? No, it's Citizens Bank. They built that in 04. So okay. It's I, newer, I forgot the timeline on that. It's the newer ballpark, and the, the brick facade outside is great. You have to see Shane Victorino play center field. Yeah, I, I'm about to get to him. Because I love is, Shane Victorino. Because this is crazy. So, like, you know, we get to the ballpark, and, of course, you know, it's in a sports complex. So I took pictures of the other sports teams in that complex, like Lincoln Financial Field where the Eagles play, the Wachovia Center, which I guess is renamed now. Because I don't think Wachovia's around anymore, uh, where the Flyers and the 76ers play. And then at the time, they still had the old Spectrum. And so I took a picture of the Spectrum where the Flyers and the Eagles, I'm sorry, Flyers and the 76ers used to play, and there's lots of great concerts. Yeah, when they were the Broad Street Bullies. Yeah. Like, you know, the band, the, the progressive rock band, yes, played Philadelphia, and they played the Spectrum. And Philadelphia's a yes town, but that's another story for another time. But, you know, and. You need a music podcast too, man. That's right, pretty good about yeah. it. <laughs> Philadelphia loves yes. Anyway, and so, th- like I said, this was a night that I never forgot because the story that I didn't forget because the Philadelphia Phillies beat the Cincinnati Reds that night 22 to 1. And it all started in the first inning when the Phillies scored 10 runs. And it just, they kept piling on. But they scored another run in the second, another run in the third, four runs in the fourth. And then the eighth inning, he scored six runs. And while the Reds scored only one run in the second inning. So the Phillies kicked the Reds' butt that day. And there was like 41,000 people. I mean, it was good crowd. And despite being 22 to 1, it lasted less than three hours. It was two hours, 53 minutes, you know, which is impressive. But, you know, Jerry. Especially in that time period. Yeah, that time. Yeah, that time period. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Fucking. Baseball is trying to kill the the time lapse, but they had a game the other night go four hours and twenty three minutes. And it was a nine inning ball game. Yeah. So right. all the things they're doing trying to kill the kill this time, you know, it's not working. They just got to cut the ad, the ad revenue, but they're not going to do that. No, that's, that's money. That's money. They're like, we're, we're losing money. I'm like, well, you need to cut it if you want to uh, shorten the game. But anyway, but once ahead. you're done talking about this game, I got I got a little memory I want to bring up. Okay. So, the Reds only had five hits that day. Joey Votto had one of them. He went one for four. Jerry Hairston, who... Joey Votto's still playing, too. That's wild, man. Yeah. <laughs> Jerry Hairston, who, like I said, is one of the, is one of those baseball families because his granddad played in the Negro Leagues. His dad played... Well, oh, he's a fourth-generation guy? Yeah. And then, you know, he went one for four. Johnny Gomes was on that team. He went one for four. I mean, Jay Bruce... Johnny Gomes, the mayor of Boston? Yeah. Poor, poor Johnny Cueto, who's the starting pitcher. Uh, oh, I forgot about him. He was a baller, too, back in the day. Yeah. Poor Johnny Cueto only pitched two-thirds of an inning. He was a starter. He pitched two-thirds of an inning before getting pulled. Got shelled. And he got the loss that day. That was I felt bad for him. Cole yeah, you're going to have those days. I've had days where yeah. – and those of y'all that know us know that I played ball and – 
I've had those days yeah. where I didn't make it out of the second inning. You know, it happens. Yeah. It's part of the ball game. Cole Hambles was a starting pitcher for the Phillies. He went seven innings and struck out two guys. He used to have the nastiest changeup in baseball. Yeah. That dude, after that first inning, he was set. There was no way the Reds were going to come back and win that. All right, so that circles back to what I told you I wanted to circle back to. Him. Okay, yeah. When I was in uh, junior college at Jeff State in Birmingham, mm-hmm. uh, we'd be at, you know, Matt Ellis from Grissom. Mm-hmm. We, were, we played together at Jeff State. Um, he played me at Lee. He went to Grissom, and we wound up playing together at uh, Jeff State. Yeah. But um, – We'd be at my buddy Nathan Dumont and um, Chase's place. Chase, uh, he lives in Montgomery, or not in Montgomery. He's in Georgia, where he's from, and he's a um, high school baseball coach now. Yeah. And um, we played the show. But everybody you see it all pissed off me when I played that Phillies team. Yeah. <laughs> because I had Victorino. If I got on base, he's still in sight. Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. He's so quick. You hit the ball center field, it's caught. Victorino's there. And then um, the pitcher you just mentioned, dirtiest changeup in the game at the time. Cole so Hamels. I just, Cole Hamels. Yeah. If I pitched Cole Hamels, you weren't beating me. <laughs> no. So I would play with the Phillies. I hate the Phillies, but I would play with the Phillies because you weren't going to beat me with the Phillies. <laughs> yeah. And so going back to what the Phillies did at bat, they had 21 hits on 22 runs. Our boy Shane Victorino went four for five with a home run and two doubles. And this performance really helped him get into the All-Star game that year. You know, this this helped him get into the All-Star game that year for sure. Because he was on the like he was on the edge. I think he was on the bubble and he got in, so it was great. And then Jimmy Rawls went three for four with two walks. And he raised his average to two twenty four, because I guess he wasn't doing that well till that game. Uh, Chase Utley went two for three, four RBIs. That's another name I forgot. Yeah, two, four RBIs, one walk, one run scored, and he got replaced by Eric Bruntlett, who got one, who went one for two with the RBI. So there you go. His replacement got Ryan Howard was a bust. He only went one for four with like a single. He got replaced after the sixth inning with John Mayberry. Mayberry, Jason Worth went two for five with five RBIs, two runs scored. Greg Dobbs. We played left field, did first base. He went four for six with a home run, two RBIs, two runs scored. I didn't, I didn't thought about Greg Dobbs in years. And then Cole Hamill got in the mix, and he went two Cole for Hamill, four. Cole Hamill's a sneaky, great ball player. Right. He'll never be a Hall of Fame guy, but he was a utility cat. You know? This is the best part. Cole Hamill's got in on the, in the hitting fun. He went two for four with a double. Two RBIs, two runs scored, and he struck out twice. Dude had a great night for a pitcher at bat. <laughs> you know, and then the game, you know, like the atmosphere was great. It was electric. And now, and when I said that the Nationals had shaved ice, in Philadelphia they had Italian ice. And I didn't try it because I was like, what the heck is Italian ice? You know, I didn't know what it was. Snow cone. Yeah. And then, so, and of course the Phillies have the Philly Fanatic as their mascot. I did not get neither. Nobody in my family got a picture with the Philly fanatic. However, that's a bummer. That's a bummer. However, I was close to him because I did get a picture of him trying to get through the crowd to go to like the front office to maybe go for a restroom break or something. It's on Facebook. You know, I have the picture in my 
on my Facebook for the, the photos of this tour. And it's the coolest thing. It's a great shot of him wading through the crowd to get to the, the office to, I guess, use the men's room or whatever, you know. And it's it's a perfect shot. It's not blurry. And it's just him going this way, looking towards the door, you know. And so it was really Dude, cool. I need to find a, I need to find a picture for you. Um, my buddy is Shelby Nobles. Yeah. He was my catcher at AUM. He was the biscuit loving beast, Mo. Yeah. Put him on your biscuits. That's cool. And um, there's a picture of me and him. He's like, yeah, I gotta pass this. This what? Just walk to that. Yeah. But there's a picture of him and me and him. And, and I made little kids sad because I'm talking to the mascot. And I'm like, if you can't talk to the mascot, why is he able to talk to the mascot? <laughs> well, I'm going to throw Scott fastballs on Saturday. Yeah. You're not. You know, but. <laughs> I need to find the pictures. Like, there's a picture of me when I was working for the Biscuits, and I was playing a um, where me and him, the mascot. You know, it's <laughs> the mascot world's a weird world. Yeah. But um, but even though we didn't get a picture with them with the actual Philly fanatic, there were a couple of Philly fanatic statues around the ballpark that we got to take a picture. That myself and Dad and Dad by himself got a picture with. So that was cool. And then, like, around the third baseline, as you're turning towards the bleachers in left field, the Phillies had a history timeline of their history of the Phillies. And they had, like, you know, big pictures of, like, Grover Cleveland Alexander and Cy Williams and Chuck Klein and, and Richie Allen or Dick Allen. And they had, you know, just – it was really cool to have that history, like, you know, shown like that. And then, of course, outside the stadium – there are statues of like Mike Schmidt and Steve Carlton and uh, you know other Philly greats like Robin Roberts I think or Richie Ashburn, but out of all of that, there is a statue across the street from the stadium of Connie Mack that was originally put. That's your favorite man of all time, isn't it? Yeah, that was originally at Shite Park, and then they moved it to Veterans Day, and then they moved it to Citizens Bank. And so I have a picture of myself with the Connie Mack statue of him, you know, with one one leg up and the dugout steps and him waving a scorecard, you know. So that was pretty cool. I feel like you get a hard on for Connie Mack. That's your dude, man. <laughs> I mean, he's a cool guy, but not, not, not like no. Yeah, not sexual. I feel like that's the guy that gets you going about baseball, though. Yeah, I mean, he just he was a fascinating guy. I mean, we devoted two episodes of this podcast on him. And so after the game... You know Philadelphia is known for the cheesesteaks. We go to... Yeah, but they got those cheesemen's cheesesteaks. Yeah, I'm about to get there. Well, at least one of them does. Um, we go to the two most well-known, or at least historically well-known, cheesesteak places in Philadelphia. We went to Pat's, which is where the cheesesteak was invented. And then across the street, we went to Geno's, which is their arch rival and their flashier. Pat's does the cheese whiz. And you got, like, when you're ordering this... We, I knew how to order it because a year before I watched something on the Travel Channel about great steak restaurants and they mentioned Pat's and Gino's. Yeah, you saw like a, you saw like Guy Fieri be like, here's how we order. Yeah. Not even, not, not, I'm not saying it was him, but. Yeah. And so you, you know, the way to order it, and they it, it told it on the Travel Channel show, like you got to go to Pat's and you got to say, I want a cheesesteak. With wit cheesesteak, with the whiz, with the whiz, something. and if you want onions, you just gotta say wit onions. Philly cheesesteak whiz, wit onions. You know, 
I'm and, out, man. And like they had the thing, like they had the the, the way of how you say it, like a a poster of how you say it, uh, how you order on the on the wall outside. But still, it's like I know what I'm doing. I saw it on Chow Chow, and I said it right, and they knew what exactly what I was saying. And I was like, yes, you know. And I'm both, out on the onions, bro. And the way that both Pats and Gino's do their steaks are different. Pats cuts up the steaks. Gino slices it. You know, they're just slicing steak. So one is diced, the other is sliced. Yeah, but either way, they're both very, very good. Uh, and, of course, you know, other people... And that's why they're directly across the block competing with each other for decades about who's the best. For decades. And, of course, every, other people in Philadelphia have their own favorites like Tony Luke's or uh, Chickies and Pete's and other places. But I was like, look, this is where the cheesesteak was invented. We need to try that and then try their competitor across the street. And so that's what we did. And so... What y'all do? Like, split sandwiches and then go across the street and split sandwiches and be like... Who's the best? Yeah. So I give you a six, I give you a seven, kind of. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Kind of like Dave Portnoy from Barstool Sports. Yeah. Hey, and Dave so, Portnoy, if you listen to this, I want to work for you. Um, <laughs> but uh, 4.7 over here, 3.7 over here, kind of deal, you know? Yeah. Is that what y'all were doing? Yeah. But either way, it was great. They both were good. You know, if anybody from Pats and Gino's are listening, I like both y'all sandwiches. Don't get mad at me. Okay. <laughs> you know. Well, you can grab the email of the ingredients. We'll eat all of it. Yeah. And so the next day, we stay in Philadelphia for a little bit. And we visit Constitutional Hall, and we saw the Liberty Bell. And there's a picture of myself and my brothers. And my brother Chris is holding an issue of the Hustle Times at the Liberty Bell. And back when the Hustle Times was a readable and somewhat respectable newspaper. Yeah, when it wasn't trash. When it wasn't trash. You know, they had a section in the Hustle Times where if you traveled somewhere and you took the front page of the Hustle Times with you, take your picture with the Hustle Times with the where you are, and then we'll put it in the paper. So that's what we did. Yeah, Statue of Liberty, Liberty Bell, yeah. damn. So we took Constitution, a, wherever you're at. So we took a picture of us at the Liberty Bell holding the Hustle Times issue, and we sent it to the paper, and then like the next month, they end up in one of the issues, which we have in the house. It's awesome. Frame yeah. It. it. Yeah, we should frame that. That's what we plan to do. And then... You remember, you remember when we were kids, you used to be able to draw the weather? Yeah. I yeah. got I got one I drew at my parents' house, so I'm sure they got it somewhere. Or it's me and my dad and mom on the damn uh, bass boat. Nice. Fishing. But I drew the weather. It was a sunny day and we were fishing. Yeah, that's awesome. Before we but left, that's when we had a legitimate newspaper. Right. And before we left Philadelphia... AL.com, eat my ass. <laughs> Before we left Philadelphia, we went to the site of Shy Park slash Connie Mac Stadium. Now you have to understand about Philadelphia if you've never been. The site of Shy Park is located in North Philadelphia. Most people do not go to North Philadelphia because, and I can speak from experience, North Philadelphia makes North Huntsville look like mountains. It is what the absolute worst ghetto I have ever been to in my life. And I've never been to Chicago. So, but this was during the day. Then, like, we're going up Broad Street, which is the main north-south road. And we go to Temple University. From. Yeah. We, we go through Temple University. And once you pass that, it's kind of yeah, hell on wheels. Once you pass Temple, it doesn't get much better. But we so get, those kids that go to Temple University, they're like, you don't go north, you go south. Yeah, like my friend, my, my fellow classmate, Syracuse Dave Hazel, 
Uh, he he's a shout out Dave. Yeah, shout out to my friend Dave if he's listening. Uh, he, he he he's a graduate of Temple, and you know he probably tell you the same thing. Although we didn't get into the conversation of how bad North Philadelphia is, but he obviously knew. It's like, come on, man, you're that close to it. But anyway, so we found the side of Shot Park, which a church is built there now, and we got a picture of the uh, historical marker there. And, the, you know, across the street were, were those row houses. And if you know anything about Shot Park's history, in the early days, kind of like Wrigley Field today, people watched games from, you know, from their house, the rooftops across the street from Shot Park until Connie Mack built the spike fence and you couldn't watch it from across the street. But yeah, because Connie Mack was all about Connie Mack, he didn't want you to be able to do that. Right, and if he wasn't making any money, which, I think we already talked about. But. Yeah, which there's times that the A's didn't make a lot of money in the 30s, you know, the Great Depression. He's like, dude, I need money, I need fans and seats, and you guys aren't helping me across the street. Hell, the A's still ain't making a lot of money. No, they're in Oakland, you know. So it was cool to see those row houses there, even though they were fairly dilapidated. But so it was cool to see that those row houses were still there from back in the day. And so we're going to, we're, we leave Philadelphia. We go to this place called Hatboro, Pennsylvania. And you're thinking, why, what are we doing here? At the time, they had a museum called the Philadelphia Athletics Historical Society. The museum dedicated to everything about the Philadelphia A's. And time which is currently the Oakland A's. Right, which is currently the Oakland A's. I just did a presentation of this in my Tourism Museum and Heritage Sites class at Syracuse, and I thought the, the the lesson was like, you know, give a give a presentation about your best road trip you ever went to. Of course, I talked about this, and so I had to explain to them, especially to my classmates who are not from the United States. It's like, hey, you know, this was a team called the Philadelphia Athletics. They are now based in Oakland, California. They're known as the Oakland Athletics, but from 1901 to 1954, they played in Philadelphia, and so that was fun explaining, and so. This museum was really cool, but yeah, but I'm, I'm imagining you explain it. I'm just imagining you explain it to us guys from Sweden or something, you know, just or Russia, China. Guys playing hockey, and it's like we're more. This ain't hockey. What are we talking about? You know, like yeah, you know, it was a cool museum. There was a lot of Philadelphia Athletics memorabilia, like jerseys and seats from Shine Park, and a bunch of knickknacks. But the the way it was laid out could have been a lot better. Because instead of, you know, back then I thought it was fine. But with years of taking museum studies classes, I knew it was like, this was not the best way to make a, you know, make a museum. You could have done a lot better with exhibits and whatnot. Or storage, you know, of, of said items. Because the way it was laid out was just all over the place. What they could have done was like, you know, they could have made exhibit of the early days, and then the 20s, 30s, 40s, and then the last years. You know, they could have made like... That instead of just having stuff all over the place with labels all over the place, and yeah, just all willy nilly, yeah. But they had seats from Shine Park, and I got to sit in a seat from Shine Park, so that was cool. cool. And we talked to the guy who was running the place, I wish I could remember his name, but he was a cool guy. He talked to that Philly, Italian Philly Jersey. What are you doing? What do you want? Yeah, welcome to Philly. And we told him about the tour, about the Massive East Coast Ballpark tour, and he's like, You should write a book about it. And I said, yeah, but now... You should write a book about everything about baseball, Matthew. If we're being real. Yeah, I mean, everything about baseball. But, I, think, I think you'd be a um, New York Times bestseller author. And that's my opinion about you. Well, thank you. I think so, too. Now, Do it. And so, you know, <laughs> I did not write a book about said tour, 
doing an oral history about it on this podcast, I feel is a good option. You know, people can hear me talk about this and be like, wow, this is what baseball was like in 2009, you know? Right. So, and on the way, so we're going to, so on the way we leave uh, Hatboro and the Philly A's Museum and we, we get lost in New Jersey. Now this is 2009. None of us had smartphones in the family. We had a GPS and somehow something happened with the GPS and we got lost in New Jersey trying to get to New York City. So we finally, it's like 3 o'clock Eastern time. We found this Chick-fil-A off the highway and we're like, Chick-fil-A's up in New Jersey? You know, like this was news to us. And we go to, we go inside this Chick-fil-A and I look behind the counter. Wait, and they, they have Chick-fil-A in New Jersey? Yes, they did and they still do. And they also have one in, in uh, a suburb of Syracuse. Who I, I thought that there. was just a Southern Delight just for us. It was a Southern thing, then they moved up north. And I thought west. that was a Southern Delight for uh, white trash people like me. <laughs> <laughs> so we go to this Chick-fil-A, and I look behind the counter, and there are two tea urns behind the counter. And if you were from the South like Patrick and I am, if you go to a restaurant and you see two tea urns, that means one of those has sweet tea and the other has unsweet tea. And I could not believe that because you can't really find sweet tea up north. I will never forget when me and my family, um, we went on a vacation to Louisville. Yeah. We rode up to Cincinnati to watch the Blades Reds. Mm-hmm. I got to see Ken Griffey hit a oppo home run into the river as the steamboat was coming by at, um, was it, Red American Ballpark? Yeah, Great American Ballpark. Yeah. Is it still known as that? I know it was known as that. It's still Great American Ballpark, yeah. Yeah, but I got to see Griffey hit a home run oppo field over the stands into the river. And um, I will never forget the mistake I made at a damn uh, Waffle House. Yeah, I'll take a Coke. Or no, I'll take, I'll take a, I forget what it was, Coke or, yeah. and here comes a Coke. There was no follow-up question of what kind of Coke. Right, it's just Coke. And my mom goes, yeah, I'll take a, I'll take a sweet tea and they go, no, ma'am. Now, you know, like, so this, that's weird. So I get time to change because the closest Waffle House is here. This was before I was even able to drive, so it's got to be probably 15 years ago. Yeah. So bef- the closest Waffle House to Syracuse, New York, is in Pennsylvania. Clark Summit, Pennsylvania, which is just north of Scranton for all those uh, The Office fans because, you know, the space is Scranton. Um, and I went there with my Indian friend, Yogash, who I – we were both in graduate school, not the same program. And we go there, and that location of Waffle House has sweet tea. And it was good. They didn't mess it up. So if you want sweet tea... So a shit ton of sugar and a little bit of tea? Yeah, maybe a little bit. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so, that, so times have changed. Waffle House is up north, at least that one in Clark, South Pennsylvania, have sweet tea. And so... Well, they're a southern company. They better figure it out. Yeah. So going <laughs> back to that tea room, so I asked the, the Chick-fil-A lady... Up front, I said, do you guys serve sweet tea? And she said, yes. And I was so happy. I was like, I was like, yes. I was fist pumping. And there was these guidos that were like at a table near us, near the counter. That looked like they were like, they looked like they were straight out of the Jersey Shore, you know, like the Jersey Shore show. And they were just laughing like that. I was silly Northern. I'm thinking, I'm, it was silly Southern. I'm thinking, I'm silly guidos, you know. But I didn't care. I was happy because they had sweet tea. And I had, had sweet tea since we left like North Carolina, you know. So it was great. And then we get to, so we go to New York City that night. And 
you have to understand, 2009 was the year that both the Yankees and the Mets opened new ballparks. The Yankees opened Yankee City number two, and Mets opened City Field. As you can the imagine, Yankees should never moved. The Mets should have. Yeah. And Getting they, rid of original Yankee Sam is a problem. I disagree with it still to this day. That's on Steinbrenner. You you blame that on Steinbrenner. But I'm wrong remember on Steinbrenner's kids. Was, he was dead. Wasn't he? You know, he was still alive in 2009. He died in 2010. But by then, his kids were running because his health was deteriorating. Anyway, so you, as you can imagine, trying to go to a game at either the new Yankee Stadium or City Field would be next to impossible because the tickets would either be sold out or they'd be super expensive. And I think that week, that day, I think one of the teams was out of town anyway. I'd have to double check. Again, it's been almost 13 years since this happened. And so you think, well, all right, we, we're not going to go to a Yankees or Mets game. So it's like, all right, well, we can't just go up the East Coast and not visit New York City. So we did the next best thing. We went to Brooklyn, and we saw a Brooklyn Cyclones game. And the Brooklyn Cyclones were, they're still a team. By the time they played in the short season single A, New York Penn State League, which, by the way, rest in peace to the New York Penn State League because Major League Baseball threw that out the window. And... We go there, and of course, you know, I'm wearing a Brooklyn Tip Tops t-shirt that I got from Red School Flannels because they were the Federal League team with, you know, the Brooklyn the Tip Tops were the Federal League team that played Brooklyn at the time, 14-15. And we go there, and it's, at the time, the park was called Keyspan Park. Now it's called Mamo Nades Park, but still the same park. And there's a statue of Jackie Robinson and Pee Wee Reese outside the stadium, which is great. And under the stadium... There was a Brooklyn Dodgers Hall of Fame sort of thing where they had Brooklyn Dodgers memorabilia. They had seats from Evans Field, which did not, which you were not allowed to sit on because they were in an exhibit and they had a turnstile from Evans Field. They had um, a pennant that said World Champion Brooklyn Dodgers 1955, a, a replica, of like a, you know, a replica of Evans Field that was bigger than the LP Font Stadium replica that I have. And they had a so it's kind of like a under glass replica of the stadium kind of deal. Yeah, it's like when we went to um, the mountains. It's like here's a replica of the park. Yeah, make sure you know where you go. Like, and then they had like Babe Herman's bat, which that was cool. And I think they had Casey Stingle's uniform when he managed the the Dodgers in the '30s. And they had like a big cutout of Zach Wheat and um, Ducky Medwick. And Duke Snyder, I mean, it was just like, you know, it was really cool because, like, you know, to see at least Zach Wheat represented. Because, like I said, most people talk about the Brooklyn Dodgers. They think of Dodgers from 47 to 57. They, they totally forget about Zach Wheat and the guys before then. So it was nice to see, like, Zach Wheat being represented in that. And so this is the best part of the, of the, uh, the evening. We go, the, the, the park itself is on Coney Island. And we could see the Coney Island Amusement Park, you know, uh, away from the left field, you know, over the left field wall. And then behind us, there was an actual circus with a tent, a big old circus tent on the on, on the other side, the first base side. So you're basically like, kind of like Coney Island Yankees kind of deal. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's this being going to circuses when Ringling Brothers was still a thing. Meaning going to the VBC and watching it there. 
I've never been to a circus that had in a big old circus tent like you see in cartoons. So seeing that in real life, even though I did not go to the circus that time, seeing it in real life was a real treat because I'm like, wow, this actually does exist. People do this. You know, circuses do this still. So it was really cool. But going back to the game, the best part of the game, the, the promotion that night for the Cyclones was Jewish Heritage Night. And the best part was the announcers would announce the players' names in English, and then they would announce the players' names in Yiddish. So that was the coolest thing. For and the then, Jews. Yeah. And there's no no meaning disrespect to the Jewish crowd. I didn't mean to call you Jews, but in Yiddish for the Jewish yeah. fans. And, um, you know, and so, and then like around us, there was like, uh, including us, there was 5,000 people in the ballpark. And another nice night, like we didn't have like bad weather at all on any of these trips, like any of these places. No, no rain delays, no nothing. It was just great weather. And, you know, and we're sitting there, I think we had seats by the, around the first base side. And we heard around us people talking in the authentic New York Jewish accents that you don't hear in Alabama. Even though we have Jewish people in Alabama, you don't hear that authentic New York Jewish accent like you do in New York. So that was a real treat hearing that in person. And the the the, the park itself is interesting because if you've seen a picture of now it's called Maimonades Park, the it has down the third, third base and first base side, the roof is like a wave. It's like a you, you have to look it up, Pat. I can't really explain, but it's what's, like a what's wave. Park? M-A-I-M-O-N-A-D-E-S Park. Maimonade. yeah, in Brooklyn. Like the, the, the roof is just so wavy. Like it's I've never seen that at a ballpark until the Red Sox built their new Jetwood Park, which it has the same similar thing. But it's like that's the weirdest thing. Like, what in the world? <laughs> you know. Um, but it was really cool. The Brooklyn Cyclones won 3-2. to two, So another close game. Other than the Phillies game, almost all these games were just close games by like one or two runs. So that was cool. Oh, it's straight up on like Long Island. Or on Brooklyn Island. It's in Brooklyn. It's yeah. right there by the river. Yeah, it's right there. Yeah. It's or right there by the bay, man. That's right awesome. There. Yeah. Let me, really, let me find a picture of this park. Um, that's awesome. That's a great location. Yeah, I mean, it was great. We're going to do that. <laughs> I'll keep going. Okay, so, yeah. So, we, the, Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Cyclones won 3-2. And to this day, I follow the Brooklyn Cyclones on both Facebook and Instagram. Because even after, years after I went to this game with my family, they do all these crazy promotions. Like 2013, they had like, you know, Nickelodeon 90s all that night. And they had like... From this ballpark. Yeah, that's the ballpark. And they had like Kel Mitchell, you know, uh, from Keenan and Kel doing the MC. And they... He loves orange soda. I'm sorry, what? He loves orange soda. I do, I do, I do. Uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, what a burger or not what a burger, um, good burger. Yeah, good burger. I mean, just great, great stuff. And, uh, you know, and then like 2013, the 100th anniversary of the opening of Evans Field, 
Brooklyn Cyclones wore like retro 1913 Brooklyn Dod- uh, Dodgers uniforms, but they said like BC instead of B. You know, I just follow this team because I'm like, this is a cool team. You know, I had a great experience in Brooklyn in 2019, and you know, let's do this. You know, I, I will follow this team. I still do. So they left an impression on me. And the best part, you know, we met the mascot. They have two mascots. They have the seagull Sandy and Pee Wee, named after Sandy Koufax and Pee Wee Reese. And then they had this guy who was dressed up as a king called King Henry. And like, you know, he was, I guess, like the MC during, you know, in between uh, skits and stuff, you know, in between innings. And he was like this, this chubby guy, and he had a king, he had a crown, and he wore a big old cyclones. Jersey that said the number 323, which I guess that was his weight. And he just seemed like a cool dude. You know, it was just, it was a great time meeting all them after the game. And then after that, we got out of New York and we went to Bridgeport, Connecticut, where we spent the night. And we woke up and drove from Bridgeport. The next day, we woke up and drove from Bridgeport to Boston. So that was July 8th, my friend Little Love's birthday. You know, we 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 go to Boston and we get there. You know, early morning, like you know, late morning, early lunch, early uh, afternoon, and we meet up with my cousin Bethany, who lived in Boston at the time, and we had lunch at Cheers, the original Cheers, not the one that was at uh, Fenway Hall that just not closed. the not the cheesy tourist Cheers, but like the one from the film, the one from the one from the, the TV show. show. Right, the one where you see... Where, the, the one where everybody really knows your name. Yeah, that was the coolest thing. And here's the thing about this Cheers. The original was name... Coach there? What? Was Coach there? No, Coach mm-hmm. wasn't there. Recipe's Coach. <laughs> so, the best thing about... So, that building, that bar was originally called the Bull and Finch, where it opened in 1969. And then when Cheers came around in 1982, I guess the guys were looking for bar locations in Boston, they found the Bull and Finch, and I guess they got the owners to, you know, put the cheer sign up and make it like the the show, and then the show got super popular, and everybody wants to go to this bar, and, you know, we go there, even though it's a bar, kids can come down there, like, during the day for lunch, so myself... No, that's not okay. I'm here to take shots and drink beers, and where's Coach at? They should have a guy who looks like Coach coming in. Oh, man, Coach yeah. Coach player. <laughs> you know, and the food was good. I wish I could remember what I got, but the food was good. They had a wooden Indian statue just like the show. And, you know, there's a bar, and they had a cutout of Norm Peterson that you could get your picture with. So I have a picture of myself with Norm, and I'm, like, on the left side of Norm, and I'm pointing at Norm, like, doing the Stephen Colbert point and smile. Like, I was doing, like, you know, like this, you know, and it was really cool. And I would recommend it if you go to Boston. And then after that, we went on a duck boat tour, which is this, you know, it's the never most, seen the Red Sox win a World Series. You know what a duck boat is. Yeah. Like if you, you know, it's a boat, it's like a car that's also a boat. Like you, can you drive it down a boat ramp, like I'm going to put my bass boat in the river, and here comes this boat. Let's party. Yeah. And so my family and my cousin did Boat with wheels, I guess. Yeah, we all did that, and it was really cool, and we saw, you know, we were in the bay. Yeah, it's like when you go to Memphis, they have the duck boats also. Yeah, we drove by Sam Adams' grave. I mean, it was just like, wow, I mean, this, this was fun. Fun little thing to do. And so, Fenway Park, we go to the Red Sox game that night, 
They were playing the Oakland Athletics. The Oakland A's. And I don't remember the whole deal of the situation, but it was just myself and my mom and my brother Josh that went to the game. Is that still Johnny Damon Athletics, or was he already with the Yankees and retired? I think he was already with the Yankees. He was not with the A's then. I'm about to get to the A's lineup. But myself and my mom and my brother Josh went, and my dad... My dad and my uh, brother Chris and my cousin Bethany went to a movie theater and saw the movie up. I don't remember the whole situation of how, why we split up like that, but that's just balloon hands in that movie up. Yeah. Now, originally, I had seats down the first base slide in a handicap section where they had like a, a foldable chair. They put me in the handicap section. My mom and my brother were like farther down, far down up the first base side near the right foot bleachers. And there was this guy that comes up to me like during the game, and he says, "Hey man, my friend sitting next to you. I want to sit with my friend. Do you want to switch seats with me? Because I'm like further down that section, close to the field." And I said, "Yeah, absolutely." So I did, and so that was really cool. I got to switch seats, and I got a better seat instead of being sitting in the handicap section. And then you know later on, as the game wore on and fans left, my fan, my mom and brother came down and watched the game there too. And the Red Sox beat the A's that day 5-4. And there was like 37,981 people there. And that game was the only one that went to three hours. You know, it, it made the three-hour mark. And it was like chilly that night, too, for Boston. It was like 62 degrees, which in 62 in Alabama is nothing, but 62 in Boston is chilly. There's a difference. There's a humidity here and um, up in Boston. Like That's when we were in San Francisco. Um, it was 60 degrees, and we went and saw the Giants play the Braves, and I got to see the two closest cycles ever in the history of baseball. Yeah. It was chilly there, even though it was warm, you know? Yeah. Just the, the temperate climates are different. Yeah. Place to place, you know? And so the A's that night, they had Jerry Harrison's brother, Scott Harrison, in center field. So I saw both Harrison brothers play. And not only that, here's the best part. That year... No more Garcia Parra played for the A's, and he got in the game as a pinch hitter slash first base substitute for Bobby Crosby, who played first base that day. So I saw both Garcia Parra brothers and both Harrison brothers play games that store. I'll never forget how cool I was when I was uh, probably 11 years old, 12 years old. Yeah. And I was playing ball with Nick Crook. Um, all that group on the South Huntsville uh, Blaze. And I had them no more Garshapara TPX batting gloves. Oh, yeah. You had to make sure you double buckled them to be like no more. Yeah. Oh, never forget how cool I was when we had the no more TPX batting gloves. Yeah, man. And then um, Big Poppy hit a home run that night. So that was did. cool. Of course he did. Yeah. Dustin Majoria went three for four. What a gamer. And Tim Wakefield, the knuckleballer, got the win that night for the Red Sox. And as I was walking around the concourse of Fenway Park, because, you know, when I go to games, I don't just sit down and watch the game. I also walk around and take in the sights of the ballpark. So when I went and saw um, Giants-Braves in September, I think something got a little bit irritated me because I wanted to go find where the trophies were. You know, I wanted to see that. I, we, we made it out to the bay to look over the – you know. Yeah. And so. She's like, we got these great seats. I'm like, no, I want to see the park. As I'm walking around the park and I'm like exiting, going, 
you know, away from the uh, from the stands, going under the concourse around the third base side, this, I guess, security guard or, you know, intern saw me and said, hey, UNA, because I was wearing a University of North Alabama t-shirt, purple one that, you know, I think it was the first one I owned. Probably had a line on it. Yeah, it had a little lion guy on it. And I was like, yeah, I, I was shocked that he knew what UNA was. And I was like, yeah. He's like, yeah, I think I, he went there, maybe he interned for the Red Sox. But there was some connection and he recognized UNA. And I thought that was really cool being in Boston, you know, where most people are like, what the hell is going to be Alabama? We got Harvard, dude, you know. They recognized it. And then after. You the, don't belong here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But. And then after the game, we went to this place called Boston Beer Works with Chris and Dan and Bethany. And it was probably really, a craft beer bar, probably. Yeah, it was really good. I wish I remember what I got, but it was really good. And it's still there today. It's just called Beer Works. But I would recommend it if you ever go to Boston. So, and so the next day, my family and I, we travel from Boston to Cooperstown, New York, and we visit the Baseball Hall of Fame. And, oh, man, this was everything that I thought it was going to be. It this was, is where the uh, pyramid fell over and Matthew found what he wanted to do, I feel like. Yeah. And it was awesome. I still think you'll wind up working there one day. My personal opinion. It's going to take time, but I'll, I'll get there eventually. I think you have the right connections. Yeah. I have the experience. I'm a former intern. They you got the right education for it. Right. They can't ignore my uh, application slash resume, you know. Or your um, articles. Yeah, or the articles. And so, you know, basically the exhibits of the Hall of Fame back in 2009 are basically similar or the same exhibits to the ones in my internship in 2019. And they're basically the same as the ones from 2021 last year when I visited the Hall of Fame for a weekend. Most of them don't change a lot. I mean, you still got your plaque gallery. You still got the timeline going from the early days. So I feel like I feel like you got certain people who their Hall of Fame boxes, yeah, will be there forever, and then the rest of them are kind of interchangeable. Yeah, right. Who's new? Who's topical? Yeah, and so and then, then I loved I loved what she did as a curatorial intern and see the shit behind the scenes. Yeah, it's really fascinating, and. Um, so that year, Ricky Henderson, Jim Rice, and Joe Gordon were elected to the Hall of Fame, which we mentioned in the Ricky Henderson episode. And they had, like, you know, the, for the new inductees, they have a little display cases, like their own personal little display cases of things that they or their families have donated because Joe Gordon passed away years ago before the induction. But his family said, here's things of his. Yeah. So, said, I'm assuming that's how it worked, right? Yeah, that's basically how it works. And so, a lot of stuff, there's a lot of cool stuff, like I said, a lot of stuff that um, I, I've seen that are still there, even though it's been many years, they're still there. And they had a, they have an art gallery in the Hall of Fame for baseball-related art. So, even if it's somebody that goes on a tour, you know, goes to the Hall of Fame and, you know, doesn't care for baseball or history, there's still, if you're more an art person, you're still something that you can enjoy at the Hall. Like they have this little art exhibit they have in the Hall of Fame, you can enjoy that. So if you're like somebody who doesn't care for baseball and gets stuck going on this trip, you have the art museum that you can appreciate. You know. So you're a you're a baseball mom, and you know they kept down by your kid playing baseball. He's playing the Field of Dreams tournament, or what's it called? It's the uh, oh, uh, 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 you know what I'm talking Cooperstown about, Cooperstown Dreams Park. Cooperstown yeah. Dreams Park. 
You don't care about that. You can go over here and look at art on baseball. Yeah, you know, is that, that kind of deal? Yeah, I mean, you can fill time. It's all great art. I mean, I'm not an art person, but it's baseball art. It's cool. And we saw double day. Anything baseball school. Yeah. For anything. those of y'all home, if you don't like anything baseball, pick a new podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we saw double day field, and we got to go see the shops in downtown Cooperstown. My brother Josh bought a Chase Utley jersey. Or more like my parents bought brother Josh's Chase Utley jersey. Right. And I got a baseball book, and it was great. And then we spent the night. We traveled from Cooperstown. And we spend the night in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. And then the next day, which was July 10th, was a Friday. We traveled from Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania to Salem, Virginia. And we saw the Salem Red Sox play in the time of the Carolina League. And their park is nice, but it doesn't have like a roof. You know, it's one of the, it's kind of like Joe Davis playing in a smaller scene. Like open air. Yeah, if you were in the very top seats, you had a little bit of cover, but not much. Yeah. kind of deal. Yeah, like Salem Memorial Ballpark. It rained, you were screwed. Yeah, it didn't rain, which is fine. And, um, you know, this was a. We weren't like really aiming to go here, but this was a stop in between. You just happened to pass it and right. it's like, might as well. In between Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania, and Huntsville, that's a long drive. Yeah, we got a certain Wilkesburg, right Pennsylvania. Is that like Scranton, Wilkesburg? Yeah, Scranton, Wilkesbury. Yeah, that's south of well, Scranton. Yeah, and so I heard there's a great paper company there. Yeah, I heard that too. <laughs> <laughs> and so the Red, the Salem Red Sox beat the Wilmington Blue Rocks four to three. Once again, like I said before, besides the Phillies game, all these games were close. You know, they were fairly close, and um. For the Blue Rocks, Mike Moustakis played for the Blue Rocks that The night. Moose. The Moose. And um, uh, future World Series champion with the um, Kansas City Royals, right? Yeah. So he was in the minor leagues that time. and He played third base for the Blue Rocks, and he went two for four with two RBIs. Uh, let's see what else they do. And, and a double. So he did very well that night. But his team lost because they're the opposing team. The home team's going to win. And my dad took – they had um, – the, the, the Red Sox have mas- – they had mascots. It was a left sock and a right blue, a red sock. And I guess they're called lefty and righty. And my dad took a picture with the righty one. And this guy, the, the righty sock, he looks like – his expression on his face makes me think of Tally from South Park. The high towel. Oh man, we're here to play baseball, guys. Right. This the look on his face, it looks like that righty is high. I hate to say that, but it's like, man, he looks high. Yeah, man, but we're just here to play baseball. Yeah, we're here Don't to worry about that. We're I'll tell you off when we're done. And then across the street from the park, there was a county fair, which was really cool, but again, we didn't go because it's not baseball. And so, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's screw anything that's not baseball. Baseball is what we're all about. Here. Yeah, and so we spent the night in Salem, and then the next day was Saturday. We drive home to Huntsville, and you think that's the end of the tour. But then on Sunday, Dad, Bros, and I get on a get in our car, and we go to Rickwood Field for the Southern League Home Run Derby because the Barons hosted the All Star Game that year, and they had their home run. Was this Just yeah. They hosted the Home Run Derby that year. Uh, they hosted the All-Star Game Homer Derby. The All-Star Game was at Hoover Bat, and the Homer Derby was at Rickwood, which was really cool. 
and Jose, uh, sorry, Jorge Sosa of the Mobile Bay Bears won the Home Run Derby. And not only did he win the Home Run Derby, he also won a $100 check from the Friends of Rickwood because he hit a home run not only over the main fence, but he also hit one over the original outfield fence. So he won $100. And so that's that was a great way to end the trip. And then, Big money. Yeah, and then we post-gamed <laughs> And then we post game at the Baumhauer's and Hooper, which was across the street from the Galleria, and it was a great way to end the massive East Coast ballpark tour. So that's all I have to say about the absolute best road trip that I have ever been in in my life. You know. You told me, Matthew, this is going to be a short episode. Here we are, a one hour or 51 and a half minutes. <laughs> we got, you know, you get me talking about something I can see. No, you're very passionate about baseball, and I think our listeners really appreciate that. Uh, yeah, I think it was a nice change of pace for most the, the current episode. So, and I, I know your uh, father's going to be very satisfied. Yeah, because I know he drops the coin on this tour. Yeah, I kind of wish I was there with y'all. It, it was a blast, man. Thank you to my dad for suggesting that in our email from baseballhis101 at gmail.com. If you have any suggestions, email us or contact us on social media or on the street. Of course, as we said, as of right now, we fulfilled both of our suggestions. Yeah, so you know, we got to y'all. It's all good, you know. I'm really appreciative that your dad listens to the podcast. My old man just wants me to recap it to him. <laughs> we're going, we're going fishing this weekend. He's going to like, just play it for me more fishing. So, thank you to my dad for suggesting this. So. Yeah. That's all I got to say. What do you got? What do you got, Patrick? I ain't got nothing to add. Uh, I think we covered the uh, current Major League Baseball topics that I really wanted to get into. Um, how the hell do you pull Clayton Kershaw? It's crazy. I don't get that. Um, I, I, I really wish that I had been there with your dad and your brothers. That, um, oh, you had at least one of your brothers. Yeah, it was just one. Yep. Chris didn't want to go. So. Yeah, I wish I had been there with y'all at the uh, at Rickwood to see Banana, Banana Bonanza. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Um, other than that, man, I think I think we're very. I think I want to pay for your trip, so I think you covered as good as you could. I guess. I don't yeah, know. that's I up mean, to you to determine that. And, I think that, I think that was the best. I mean, you know, if you want to know more about it, if I have not told you about the trip in person, if you want to learn more about it, this was the best way to do it. So, because I'm sure I've exhausted all my friends telling them about this trip back in the day. <laughs> Uh, you know, like I remember telling one friend I saw her little Rosie's like right after the trip, and I got really into the trip. And she, was I just, can't tell you about it because you wouldn't understand it, kind of deal. Yeah, and she was just like, "Oh my god, you, I really need to go." And I'm like, "Ah." <laughs> well, man, I, I, I remember you back in school. Um, you're the baseball savant. I could literally say 1927. You ain't got to do it, but I understand you. I understand baseball more than anybody else understands baseball. So Yes, sir. But um, as always, we appreciate listening to us. If you have uh, recommendations for a new episode, it's baseballhis101 at gmail.com. I'm on um, Facebook, Patrick Default. He's on Facebook, Matthew Carter. Mm-hmm. I'm on um, Twitter, open underscore default. I'm not sure if you're on Twitter. I'm not on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. But if you send us an email and you got something else to hear. But we enjoy y'all. Thank y'all so much. And until next time, this is Baseball History. And I'm Matthew. 
<laughs> You're Patrick. And, this, and that's over here is Patrick. <laughs> Y'all have a nice night. Yeah, thank you. The Wiz Kids had won it. Bobby Thompson had done it. And Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born, marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball, Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Feller, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. Well, KC was winning, Hank Aaron was beginning, one Robbie going out, one coming in. Kiner and Midget Goodell, the Thumper and Mel Parnell, and Ike was the only one winning down in Washington. I'm talking baseball, Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball, the man and Bobby Feller, the Scooter, the Barber, and the Duke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, Mickey and the Duke. Now my old friend, the bachelor, well he swore he was the Oklahoma kid. And Cookie played hooky to go and see the Duke. And me, I always loved Willie, man, those were the Well, now it's the 80s, and Brett is the greatest, and Bobby Bonds can play for everyone. Rose is at the vet, Rusty again is a Met, and the great Alexander is pitching again in Washington. I'm talking baseball, like Reggie Quees and Barry, talking baseball, Carew and Gaylord Terry, Siva, Garvey, Schmidt, and by the blue. And it's no fluke They'll be with Willie Mickey and the Duke Willie Mickey and the Duke Say hey, say hey, say hey It was Willie Mickey and the Duke Say hey, say hey, say hey I'm talking